This is my instant reaction for Halloween Ends. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, what would the spooky season be without yet another divisive uh, entry into the Halloween series? Two Halloweens ago, I did a ranking of the entire Halloween sequel series uh, because the original was already put into our no copyright infringement intended vault. If you don't know what that means, then go ahead and check out the show in our past catalog. Uh, because every season we do ranking episodes, and at the end, the two best films collide. What the guests say are the best, what I say are the best, they collide in a little thing we call Last Movie Standing, and then our listeners get to vote on what movie goes into the people's canon to be preserved for all time, even beyond the end times, a.k.a. The Vault. Halloween is in there. It's one of the first films that we added. So we came along later. I did a... Uh, retrospective ranking episode on the Halloween sequel series for the Jason and Paul binge movies, spectacular number one. We followed it up last spooky season at spooky season 2021 with the nightmare on Elm street series. And we will be coming back this year in uh, just a few short days, Tuesday, uh, as it were, as you listen to this, this is brand new. We're going to be doing the, um, uh, Friday the 13th series. There's actually so many so many movies, we're going to split it into a part one and a part two. So for the next two weeks, we're going to have definitive rankings of the Friday the 13th series. And we go in detail. Perhaps uh, the two biggest episodes back-to-back we've ever ever done. It's pretty excited about that. Speaking of Paul, Paul reached out to me and said, <laughs> you, you have to do an instant reaction, and he was not alone. I got that message from a lot of people. Uh, so <laughs> here I am and I'm laughing because <clears throat> Lord Jesus, where do I begin with this film? <sighs> this is going to be the spoiler free section. I'll have a clear line of demarcation into spoilers. We will get into spoilers because I know several audience members have told me, I don't care. I like the spoilers during the instant reactions. I feel a little guilty sometimes doing them. But people have told me don't give a shit. So uh, how can I talk about the plot of this without spoiling something? It really picks up on a lot of the ideas and the themes that were seeded in the two previous installment, installments. Halloween 2018, which I thought was pretty good. I had problems with it, but overall, I liked it. It was enjoyable. Halloween Kills, I think, is really just an awful movie. Ill-conceived all the way through. And this one is, I'm just going to be honest with you, it's somewhere in the middle. The biggest problem I have with this movie is that it's actually like maybe two or three movies. It's actually two movies, one of which I find potentially interesting, fresh, new, different. And if it were a standalone horror film with a script that was slightly tighter, slightly polished up, given a little bit more development, I think we could have actually had kind of a brand new slasher film on our hands. Not, not necessarily a slasher series, but a really good independent kind of neo uh, slasher film. And instead they took that movie and they didn't polish up the script and they crammed it into uh, a Halloween trilogy for the, you know, David, David Gordon green trilogy wrap up film. And what feels like hadn't filled the, the television series, it really feels like, well, this is 
Haddonfield, life after Michael Myers, because this picks up. There's a time jump here. They don't, I think, officially say it, but I think we might be slightly in the future or we are in present day. I'm glad that they don't elaborate and say present day, but I think we're four years in the future. So the first two films happened in 2018. And so I guess we'd be in current day. So it's been four years. It's 2022. Um, And it's there's a lot in the movie about sort of what all of these years of Michael Myers uh, and these, you know, the 1970s attack and the 2018 mayhem and the, uh, the, (laughs) the lynch mob and the death of half of the townspeople and all of this stuff, how all of that uh, has had this almost corrosive infectious effect on the town and the patrons, the denizens as a better term for denizens of Haddonfield um, over the last four years. And let me just say this. If you wanted to make a television series called Haddonfield, and the idea is that Lori is the narrator of it all, and it's, you know, a cast of characters. It would be kind of like Castle Rock, I guess, but it's a cast of characters and things are happening. It would be almost like a Twin Peaks meets, like, Northern Exposure meets, like, Friday the 13th, the series where, you know, it's kind of x file and somehow the evil of Michael Myers and the fear and trauma of the people has opened gateways to demonic realms, and now all of this weird stuff is happening within the town. Uh, it's a little picket fences as well. Uh, you can tell what I've been watching. Uh, then, yeah, I think that there's a show here, but part of it feels very much like a television series, and you're like, I, what is this? And it's not in line with the previous two films. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the plan was that for each of these films were to have different secondary writers. So David and Gord Green was going to work on all three, but they were going to get different friends in Hollywood, him and Danny McBride were going to get different friends who were writers to kind of work on each installment. And that's more or less what we have. And so in effect, they have resurrected, no pun intended, the anthology spirit of the original series. But the problem with that is that they have also done a continuation of characters. And so you've made a trilogy. And as you look at it, we're in kind of similar star Wars territory here. None of these films go together. None like Halloween, 2018 Halloween kills. There are ideas that carry over and characters that carry over, but how we get from point a to point B to point C really doesn't make any sense. And if you're going into this movie because you want a satisfying conclusion, whether you liked kills or you didn't, but you like, you know, you like these characters and you want a satisfying conclusion for the story of Lori and, uh, and Allison and Frank and who, 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 you know, whoever has survived, uh, all of these, you know, this particular timeline, you're probably not going to get it here. I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, there is an ending, but it's probably not going to satisfy you. The thing I liked most about this movie, I would say I think it's a better film on the whole than Halloween Kills. I think it's got better ideas. I think it's better executed. I think it's better directed. I think it's better edited, minus a few things, than Halloween Kills. I think it's a much more kind of substantial movie. I think it has a lot more fresh. It's freshness to it. Um, I just don't think it belongs in this series. I think the best parts of this movie should have been their own standalone film brought to you by the team that worked in the Halloween series. And you still could have cast Jamie Lee Curtis. Well, that might've been a little on the nose, but you could have, you could have taken this, everything that's here, gotten rid of Michael Myers and, and the backstory 
and and just kind of filled in the blanks. And I'll get into it more in spoilers. And I think you would have ended again ended up with a fresh Neo slasher with an interesting new characters and a new take and all that sort of stuff. And instead, what you get here is like, you know, just kind of Halloween imitation in some respects, and then a new story, which is kind of interesting, but because it's also crammed in with a Halloween sequel or Halloween conclusion, Halloween ends. Um, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't get time to breathe. And so there's like these weird character jumps just in their general relationships and where they are in their life and, and who knows who and how they know them and when they feel this way about this person and when that happens and when they decide to do something else. And, and every character has that because we couldn't write that movie, or at least we couldn't fully execute that movie. The other issue is there's this, there's a character is introduced in this film who's, who's kind of for, I would say two thirds of the movie, the principal player of uh, the protagonist, if you will, of the story. Um, a lot of this is from their perspective. We've never heard of this person. Their events happened in 2019. So after Halloween kills, we've never heard of this person. We've never been introduced to this person. We don't know anything about this person. So we have to spend 40 minutes telling their backstory of this person we've never met when we've bought a ticket or we've gotten Peacock or we've hit play on our streamer, if we already have Peacock, because we're here to see the story that they <laughs> theoretically have been telling over the last two films come to a conclusion. If you... Again, if that's what you're coming for, just be forewarned that you've got about a 60 to 70 minute diversion before you get there. And you may like that diversion. I kind of did. Uh, or you may not like that diversion because you may feel like this is a giant fucking waste of my time. And why is this in this movie? And then then we'll, uh, you eventually kind of get back to the Halloween sequel. And what you realize is at the end of the day, they had one movie. Halloween 2018 in mind. The movie made a shit ton of money. Blumhouse and everybody said, make it a trilogy. And I feel like they scrambled. I feel like they were then pulling at stuff left over to their scripts, ideas that haven't been developed from other Halloween, you know, put potential scripts or things that were kind of explored in other movies. And they just kind of kind of were been spinning their wheels in the second movie. And they had an ending in mind here, a very, very definitive ending, but they had no idea how to get from the end of Halloween Kills to the end of Halloween Ends. And so they just wrote a completely different tangential story about a completely different character. And we're like, okay, this is about them. And Lori's going to kind of pop up, but she's kind of in the background. And Allison really isn't going to have anything to do here, even though this kind of seems to, especially the first one, was kind of built around her a little bit or at least the three generation of the Strode women, we're not really going to deal with the implication of like Karen's death. Like it's in there or were they like, because we've jumped ahead, you know, we're further down the line. And, and because of that, then we have to go back and there's 80 yard lines that are very egregious to spackle in plotting. There's a confrontation between Allison and Lori that comes so far into the movie. It's like, I understand that you still feel this way. I understand there's resentment here, but this should have been brought up way earlier in the movie or should have been central to the plot. But again, these two women are kind of cast aside to tell this other story about Corey and about his life. And 
<laughs> okay, you know, uh, whatever. So um, that's what makes this like a pass-fail recommendation. How many stars would you give it? Kind of hard because, you know, I've got movie A and movie B and TV show C. And movie A I like and TV show C I could see having potential, maybe. And movie B, which is the Halloween of this Halloween ends, is just kind of ho-hum to piss poor to an afterthought. So I think if you're judging it on the criteria of a Halloween, it's a I wouldn't recommend it. Now, it's also hard because it's available for streaming. So you have to have like a premium peacock, I think, to stream it. But I think you can get a whole year of it right now on sale for like 15 bucks or something like that. So maybe it's worth it for 15 bucks to sign up for a whole year of Peacock and watch the latest Halloween ends. I don't know. Um, would I rush out to the theaters to see this one? Uh, no, I wouldn't. No. Uh, maybe if you're going by yourself or you like, you just really want to see a, like a spooky movie at spooky season, this is probably going to be your best bet. So maybe go see it, but just you have to calibrate your expectations. Uh, which the trailers kind of made clear. So if you've deciphered the trailers, it's pretty much the movie you're going to get. From this point forward, I'm going to move into spoilers. I'll be back after the other side of this break. Looking for even more unique and creative movie content? Become a patron. Choose between three levels and you'll get benefits like a personalized membership card, exclusive shows, early instant reactions to new releases, episode voting power, live streams, and more. Join today patreon.com slash binge movies the movie i'm actually interested in is the movie of star-crossed lovers one who is a final girl and one who is a burgeoning um slasher killer i think that's really interesting but not any ordinary slasher killer because there is something to that. Well, I'll get to that in a second. But 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 somebody who was involved in an accident, a misunderstanding, an accident of which they are as much a victim as anybody. But the effects of trauma on a town or evil inside of a town begins to seep into the wounds of this person's life. And there is a visual metaphor that is kind of clever, but not really. But then is like really stressed for the dopes in the first row. They have to have somebody go. You're infected, infected with evil. Don't need to say that, right? Um, but Corey is this kid. He's involved. He's a babysitter in the year 2019, a year after the events of the first two films. He's watching a little smart-ass little kid. The kid is accidentally killed when the kid is pranking Corey, and it goes wrong, and it happens right in front of the parents. In pretty brutal fashion, that opens the movie. Um, if you're saying, well, this does have to do with Michael Myers. Michael Myers has been living in a sewer for four years in his overalls and in his mask doing what for four years, occasionally killing people who go by the sewer hole that he lives in, except for the homeless guy who lives directly outside of it. And through a convoluted series of events, the kid is, Corey uh, is derided and picked on and blamed and treated as if he is a murderer. And he is essentially becoming the new boogeyman of Haddonfield because Michael Myers has been persona non grata. He's not been around. Now that would have also been interesting, except for you have a character who's very shrill and very over the top who just says he's the new boogeyman. It's like, Oh God. Right. So he's like, honestly, he's based off of, I think it's Arnie Arnold, 
off with Christine. He works at a junkyard. There's the, he turns the lights on. He chases people down with a vehicle at some point. It's very, very heavy Christine. But again, I think that's kind of interesting, right? Is If the, if a, a trauma, two trauma survivors and the path that they choose, Allison is essentially, you know, she has this line about like, you know, when I heard stories about you, I feel like I already knew you, which is just trauma bonding. And I feel like you were going to find me or I was going to find you and da, 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 da. And at this point, um, it's a, it's because whatever evil is in the town and whatever evil is in Michael Myers is seeped into him. He goes from being a weird kid, but truly a victim to Michael puts a hand on him. They lock eyes. Michael's going to kill him, but he's kind of weak, but he's in a crevice. But he gets out of his crevice because he's the one that drew, drew brought the kid into the sewer, but he didn't kill him, wanted to kill him until he woke up from being thrown off of a bridge. That's none of that makes any sense. But when he finally goes to kill him, then he looks him in the eye and he, there's a gleam of recognition. It was all in the mask. He's still in the mask. And he like recognizes something in the eyes of this kid. And it didn't need to be said, but there's like this evil transfer that happens. They both start shaking. I'm not joking. It's kind of subtle. You could read it as he's just trying to choke him to death. Except for the fact that then we the mask goes into Corey's eye. And it's almost as if the mask is burned into his retina. We have another scene later on where it's like something's changed in his eyes. I and then Laurie says, I see a Michael in his eyes. So it's almost as if he becomes the avatar of Michael. He becomes possessed by Michael Myers. And uh they then co-collaborate in a series of murders of randos, and then Corey eventually be- beats Michael up in a sewer. And takes his mask. He already has his own overalls because he works at a junkyard. Um, I also, I highly doubt that Allison would want to date somebody. Yeah, because that's where we're going with this. Who wears overalls that are identical to Michael Myers. The connection between him and Allison makes almost no sense. He's, Lori ends up meeting this kid because he's being bullied and picked on. And has sympathy for him. That part makes sense. And then is like, oh, I don't want my daughter dating or my granddaughter dating any assholes. He seems like a nice enough kid misunderstood. And also he's got a giant like thing of glass in his hand from the bullying incident out in front of this gas station. So I'm going to take him to the hospital where my granddaughter is a, a nurse, I guess. Uh, and she is, but she only ever seems to work the front desk except for one scene. This is just very strange. Um, she's a nurse or a tech or I don't know what she is. Uh, she's kind of dressed like an RN, but anyway, that she's, she's trying to get the two of them together because they're, you know, both outcast, all this sort of stuff. Cause if you remember all of Alice's friends were killed by Michael Myers in one form or another in the last two films. So, um, yeah, so then, you know, her and him and Corey start or her and Corey start kind of dating, which basically just means they go on like we see them on one date, like an actual date where they go to a party. He then freaks out at her and yells at her because there's an incident with the mom who's at the Halloween party. It's like, oh, you're out here dancing. You're having a good time. My son's dead. And all this sort of stuff. Um, and everywhere they kind of go, there are people are like, you're the child killer and you're a pedophile and you're all these things. Or he's like picked on and bullied and ridiculed by this town. And 
there's some interesting implications at the beginning of like there's there's like evil that has seeped into the town and like this guy's like oh like they just flip through like four years of halloweens and like each halloween a tragedy has happened and people kind of blame it on michael myers but it's really them and you like just see like the rot set into the people of haddonfield which we kind of got some of in the second film so you know Corey is then um you know, pushed to his limit, and now that he's got this open wound, and Michael has choked him, it's almost as if Michael has entered this wound, and that's the obvious obvious metaphor, right? He's been traumatized by this event, and then it's they make it very heavy handed. We got to clean out the wound, and you have to heal it, otherwise you'll be infected. And he's got this bandage on his hand the whole time, except for when he like takes it off, and we start and. Basically, he becomes a protege of Michael Myers. And the whole romance between these two characters is rushed. They have one scene in a diner, one scene at a party, a couple of montages on a motorcycle. And in between all of this, in between him going all of these like weird high school dates, even though they're like by this point in their mid-20s, um, he's murdering people and helping Michael murder people. And it feels like this part of the movie in particular was just like cut very oddly and kind of cut to shit. It feels as if there was more of the relationship between him and Allison. Cause they're even, even in the scene, like they'll cut the scene and we get the reverse shot of Corey. And then when we cut back to Allison, she's her hands are in a completely different position. And there are, there's this whole like weird strained visual metaphor about tarot cards and like characters at different times form different positions of tarot cards. And in particular, Allison, like there's one where she's like, all of a sudden she just has her hands out, but they're in broad daylight talking to each other. And it's a tarot pose. And she has one where her hands are up at the moon. And then uh, this, we're in full spoilers now folks. So then when Michael eventually does take back the mask and take back the knife and try to kill people again, he gets killed. And, um, the way that he's killed, he's put into like a tarot pose, almost like a martyr. So, and there's some aspects of uh, Carrie in here as well. We've got the weird, borderline incestuous, like overbearing mother. She doesn't appear to be like a religious zealot, but she's definitely like just over the top, chewing scenery, creepy mom. And then the mom's death in Carrie is kind of like the death. It's a martyr pose, uh, similar to how um, Michael dies. So, and there's, there's more of that in here, right? Like, um, real housewives, whatever her name is, Kyle, Kyle Richards. Uh, she has now become a tarot card reader and it almost feels like that was a stronger thematic element and they just kind of cut it down because maybe they went overboard with it, but then there's all these weird visual cues that are still there. The relationship between Allison and Corey, I think is very interesting. Again, what if we picked up with characters right after the fact, like, our fu- what like what happens to the final girl after she survived a traumatic event, and then what if because of the trauma she's experienced, she's trying she's you know, we kind of relive our trauma until we overcome it. So we tend to put ourselves back in similar types of situations uh, because we're trying to you know learn new lessons, right? Uh, and so that's a part of psychology. So it kind of makes sense why she feels like this weird kismet with him it's just that she's reading it wrong and the and or she read it right up front when she he is he is a survivor in essence like her of a death of a trauma uh of of being misunderstood of the curse of haddonfield but then he's deeply infected by it 
Uh, I should also add that by Corey ends up leading her ex-boyfriend to Michael for him to be killed after he's already killed some people. And then when Michael stabs him, he kind of like orgasms or something like he just goes into a spasm and seems to regain strength. And then they seem to imply that Corey and him have some kind of weird psychic connection, but then like even physically in their movements so that he can kind of feel what Michael is doing or Michael can feel what he's doing. Like they're, they're like, they're sharing a spirit. Basically they're two bodies of one spirit, but then they just, they totally just break that apart. And, um, Corey is to become the new shape. And that's really like Lori's wrap up of the movie. Cause the kind of wraparound or the, uh, the structure that this movie's given to tell the story, the, 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 the device, the narrative device is that she's writing a book, a, a memoir of her experience and the town and what its influence has been. And so it ostensibly ends with her talking about, you can't kill evil. You know, evil does not die tonight. In fact, Evil doesn't die, uh, even though she kills evil in this movie. Instead, just changes shape. And there's other stuff in the front that's very over on, like beat you over the head with it, which is just like it's not about letting Michael Myers in or letting it in. You know, it's about letting evil in. We all have the potential to experience trauma or hurt, or we're at odds with people to let evil in. And let it corrupt us. And if it corrupts us, we become dangerous. So we can go from being an innocent person worthy of sympathy and empathy and compassion and forgiveness to being evil if we are not to if we're not careful enough. That's an interesting movie. Jamie Lee Curtis in basically this role, just not as Larry Strode or, or Larry Strode, Laurie Strode. Interesting movie. Everything like just take Halloween off of this and flesh out the relationship between this, these doomed lovers and give us a little bit more character development to see like Corey's progression, his development and his struggle and his wrestling with it and all this sort of stuff. The, the movie also has a problem. It's not really his performance necessarily as much as how it's written, which is he's almost constantly in a panic and psychotic. Like, it's 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 almost kind of my problem with parts of Christine, which is like he goes through such a radical transformation so quickly, and maybe that's a statement about how quickly and insidiously we are corrupted by evil. Could be, but like it's like he's just like this really weird, like sweaty mess. He's like, I don't know what's happening inside of me. Oh, you know, like real. I don't know. It's it's like he's it's kind of emo, and I could see it somebody being attracted that at like 15 and I guess again a young woman who did experience these things at like 16 17 18 who has not really dealt with it but trying to process through her trauma the loss of both of her parents her boyfriend her friends her family all this sort of stuff I I guess she would be kind of like regressed but it just it just didn't I don't know again I would just say I think if they cut those parts out sharpened to polish that script a little bit i think we could have had like a really cool movie the music's different the vibe's different it's real kind of like synthy it's a little bit like the guest it's a little bit like um i don't know it just it just feels like kind of like an indie horror movie and also the idea of this is like an old school idea and if you do it bad you end up with fear with mark Wahlberg and reese witherspoon um but like your grand, like you've survived, your family has survived generational trauma in this town that has experienced generational violence and trauma. 
And so like the women have to look out for predatory men. And he's using the sympathy card, not at the beginning, but he, once he comes under the corrupting influence of what's in the sewer, and that's a little Stephen King-ish, right? It's a little it. Um, once he comes under the corrupting influence of this thing that's in the town, and he becomes the vessel of the town's hate and evil because the town abused him and, and made him, in essence, or at least that's a, the, the possibility. It's a question. Was he born this way? Was he actually always a psychopath? Uh, was it his mother? Because we see that. Like, there's all these different things. Was it the town's treatment of him? Was it a curse passed on to him, quite literally, from uh, Michael? It's left ambiguous. We don't really know. Or is it all of those factors moving together? I like that idea. How does somebody become evil? When do we feel sympathy for that person? Can you feel sympathy for somebody while still recognizing that they're dangerous as hell? Um, how do you stop them? Blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, it's all very interesting, and I liked those ideas, and I liked where that movie could have gone. It does not coalesce into a satisfying Halloween sequel. Uh, if I had to give this thing stars, I guess, here at the very end... Probably two, two and a half. Which is, you know, because I think at the end of the day, as much as I like this weird little side movie they made, I don't think it's the Halloween movie that most people are signing up for. So I think if you calibrate your expectations and go, I'm signing up for a movie about this kid named Corey who I've never heard of before and some... Yeah, that that takes place in the world of the previous two films, in the aftermath of the previous two films, uh, and his transformation into a Michael Myers type figure, a Roy Burns, if you will, who then the real Michael comes back and then like retakes his place. Like if you understand that that's what the movie is, and you sign up for that, you might like it more than I did, um, or more than seemingly the general population does. I think this one's going to be very divisive. I feel like David Gordon Green wanted to make a Neo-style Christine, uh, and he just should have done that. I'm not saying he should have just made Christine. I'm saying the heart of what this movie is, that's what he should have gone with because it's the strongest part. Develop Now, now it would be like, well, you've already done that, but this just feels like it should have been developed into something else. And if he didn't have anything for Halloween, this the final Halloween we know it won't be the final one, but the ha final Halloween of this iteration, this timeline, all of this and that, move on. Now, of course, this raises the question of, is Michael really dead? Yes, I believe that he is. Uh, he has stabbed multiple times, again, like a martyr's posed. He stabbed in his side. It's crucifixion-esque, but it's really more martyrdom than it is a crucifixion of Jesus. And then he's thrown into a literal meat grinder by the town in a processional at midnight and we watch his body turn to hamburger meat. He's dead. We never see Corey's body. I like to believe that he's dead, uh, that maybe this, this, he was killed before his transformation into some kind of supernatural evil was complete. Uh, I don't know. We, it, it, it's just quite frankly not addressed. I think there's a potential that you hear maybe somebody breathing. It might be him because it's different than Michael's breath. Maybe they're going to want to set up a Corey series after this. I don't know. Corey Cunningham, you know, is he going to be the new Mike, Michael Myers? Probably not. I, I think 
We've run into this again and again and again. And if they do pick up with the Corey shit and they try to make him a supernatural killer of some kind, oh, I think I think people will reject it and you're gonna get the return of Michael Myers again. I just it'll just happen again. We'll just reboot the series again. So um I'm glad these movies are over for the time being. Uh, it's time to lay them to rest. It's time for David Gordon Green and his cronies and crew to move on to something else. I think it's better than Halloween Kills. Parts of it are probably better than 2018 Halloween. But all in all, it doesn't come together. It's not, not satisfying. And it's not the one you were probably hoping for. So, viewer beware. And until next time, binge on. <laughs>